That movie sucked. I kind of liked it. Movie Night Crew Network. Hello and welcome to Content and Capable, a podcast all about following your passions while still feeling like a proper adult. My name's Sam and I'm your host. This week I spoke with Arlen from City Books Pittsburgh about her job running a bookshop and her love of literature. Welcome to Content and Capable, Arlen. It's lovely to have you on. Thanks, Sam. It's really a pleasure to be here. I was just chatting with you before we officially started recording, um, and I I really, really um, love just how in sync we were. Like, we were just like, yep, doing this, got that, and like, yes, everything's chaotic, but we're like making time for this. I'm so glad I can like sit down and have a conversation with you all about um, selling books and running a bookstore. Yeah, it's amazing um, the number of people who are finding the bookstore via TikTok. And that is definitely something that I can talk endlessly about. So um, when I found out you were in Australia, I really, I was thrilled. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely something very interesting. Um, I'm not particularly on book talk as they say but like um i do dabble in it um because i am still a bit of a reader uh but it was very interesting to sit and like watch your tiktoks and just go it's such a welcoming and kind and loving space i just like that's you know something that i i want to be a part of and i really really love um how did you get on tiktok what was the the motivation behind that well, um, I've always been very social media savvy, so I do all of, I mean, it's just me at the bookstore. I have one young helper who comes in, um, one employee, she comes mm-hmm. in on Saturdays, but, um, I've always been very active on Twitter and I use Instagram as a way of featuring our in-store inventory. Mm-hmm. I don't sell online really any other way. I don't list to, um, Amazon or yeah to a books or anything like that so um in the book selling world january is traditionally a really slow time and you know like the way we all have been all over the world we've been in and out of lockdowns and you know pandemic world and things like that so it was sometime after right around christmas last year i read an article that talked about the new trends in social media and it said that video was one of them. And I knew about Instagram reels and things like that. And I, I do have my own personal TikTok, which I had, hadn't really been using, hadn't figured out a niche for it yet. But I thought, yeah. oh my God. Um, so these, these unboxings, I saw, you know, the video unboxings were going to be the really big thing for 2021. So yeah. I thought, well, I unbox a lot of things every single day. So. Uh, we were still locked down. We were locked down until the store was closed until April. So at home, I'm, but I'm still doing a very active online business on online yeah. sales. So we had all this, all this book mail coming into my house. So I just started filming it. And, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's where it took off. That's, that's my bread and butter is book mail. That's what yeah. I do uh, on TikTok. And I really do love it because it is, it like combines like, the virality and the, the, the really easy marketable sections of like unboxing videos, which you see all over YouTube with the, the, the passion of like books and you go, Oh, this is actually a really, really interesting book. And there's actually a really interesting story behind this one. Or, Oh, I, you know, a, and it's like almost like a glimpse behind the scenes of like yeah. how your mind works and running a bookstore yeah. as well. Yeah, um, it's true. It is. Um, it is very much a behind the scenes of how a bookstore works. And just because I am the way that I am, the unboxings tend to be more than just I'm opening the box or the envelope and pulling the book out. There's always a story about the person who ordered it or mm-hmm. what I had for breakfast or, <laughs> you know, that. Yeah. so in the, I'm it's almost like that the the book mail, the opening of the package itself is just the wrapper for something else that's going on in my head that day. That's what it feels like sometimes. Like what what else is this about besides just opening the the, the book? Oh, a hundred percent. And it's so like fascinating because 
there are so many different kinds of books and so many genres um, that like just even just by exposure, just having a look, you can kind of go, well, oh, this is an interesting book. I find that quite intriguing and and go search it up and you might find a whole new passion that you've never discovered before. And people are doing that. That's because I am really hesitant to endorse a book or to give a book review because mm-hmm. in my mind that's free advertising and I don't want some publisher or um, you know some author to just use my platform free of charge yeah. I mean, not to be a horrible capitalist about it but I'm not doing that work for you I'm doing the work for me so yeah. um, I'm always surprised by the number of people who message me comment mm-hmm. and say, Oh, I, you know, I've found so many good books through you in the past year because I, I try to make no judgment on the books that I'm opening. Um, I did not order them. Somebody else ordered them. And, uh, they often, people get to see, you know, the books that folks are reading, maybe that are trending. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am 99.9% a used bookstore. Yeah. So all the books that are coming in are almost always used. People have begun to ask me to do book reviews, so I have just started doing book reviews. No, yeah. I feel like you get kind of get sucked into that. It's like um, like Barnes & Noble and kind of things where, like, the staff go, oh, this is a staff pick. This is, you know, mm-hmm. one of our staff has recently read it and they really, really like it mm-hmm. and they're suggesting it at the moment. But, like, I think it's the whole bookstore model. You've kind of... I, I, I might, this is pontificating right now on, you know, just what I've observed is you've brought like the idea of a bookstore online. So it means that like, you know, when you walk around a bookstore, you might run into a book that you've never seen before. And, you know, spend a couple of minutes looking at it mm-hmm. going, what is it about? Mm-hmm. And you've done that online mm-hmm. and it, also, it doesn't like replace it, but it is like a good substitute, especially in the time of the pandemic mm-hmm. when we're also separated. Yeah. That's very true. Um, so when you walk through a bookstore and you, um, you, you talk to the person who's selling the books and you see mm-hmm. something that you like and you ask them what this book is, you like the cover and what's this book about? That's called hand selling. And that's a yeah. really crucial part of independent books or well, book selling altogether, but especially independent yeah. book selling. Um, so it helps to know something about the book, but I certainly have not read every book that I've opened on Book Talk. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I think I don't, it would be almost impossible. People yeah. come in and they're like, have you read all these books? And I think, no, have you never been into a bookstore before? Um, yeah. there's, no, there's no way I could read all of these books. Yeah. It's it's something something very fascinating. Um, but to bring it back like a lot, how did you get to having your own bookstore and running your own bookstore? Um, well, I was a professor of literature and creative writing for 17 years and got really tired of teaching and Mm -hmm. decided that um, I needed to do something else. And uh, the bookstore is a kind of a, an iconic bookstore in Pittsburgh. It was founded in 1984 in an area south of the river called the South side. And um, the, I I was fed up with teaching and I found out the bookstore was going up for sale. I had been there a lot through my twenties and thirties. And, mm-hmm. um, the, the son of the people who owned it, the family lives down the street from us and we've been social. So I said, you know, Hey, your parents are selling the bookstore. Or do you have, have you had any offers? And he said, well, we've had offers to piece off this section or to take these fixtures, but dad really wants to sell the whole thing as it is. And, mm-hmm. um, I made an offer. So that's how I got into it. Yeah. I, I really don't have a background in sales i don't have a background in business at all Mm. that's that's so fascinating um for context i've you know spoken to friends of mine who've started up their own uh publishing company uh i have another friend of mine uh by the name of beth recalls um she um she's written her own book so i've had the full gambit and every time and it's something that you know it consistently pops up when when we have these conversations about creative pursuits is the passion fuels like where it's going and it's so fascinating to see you know your your passion for literature just continued on through something else after teaching 
I um oh yeah well in some way I've been pushing a book my whole life you know I mean I mm-hmm. was an was an undergraduate English major and then I went to grad school and then I've been trying to get students excited about about books I think I listened to your podcast with Beth did you have did you do a podcast with Beth Yeah I did yeah I did yeah, yeah. I listened to a couple yeah. of your I listened to your bookish ones when you know when you decided and you made the offer for the bookstore what were some of the initial challenges that you had you know getting it back to how you remembered it or yeah oh well i definitely didn't take it back to the moment so um i so the first thing was i kind of thought i I didn't i didn't know how to structure an offer so Mm -hmm. i did a lot of research and of course the you know independent book selling is not what it used to be you know pittsburgh is a very great literary city and we have 14 or 15 independent bookstores here um but you know i I had been listening to the media and reading in the media you know all Mm -hmm. independent bookstores used bookstores there's just you know it we're all being crushed by amazon so i did my research and i found out that that really isn't true that the um the loss of independent bookstores had had really leveled off and i have a lot of reasons about why that happened to the stores that had to close but that's that's for another time but i um i contacted a couple of people there's a a consulting company in florida in pennsylvania yeah. in, in the united states in florida that helps people um, learn how to become independent booksellers mm-hmm. so i contacted them and talked to them and they said well they mainly focus on new independent bookstores and um, I could talk to this friend of theirs who was in Georgia and he has a big uh, independently owned chain of used bookstores. So I contacted him and he helped me put together an offer. Yeah. Um, and then the bookstore, the original location used to be huge. They probably at one point had like 40, 50,000 books. And then wow. in the, in, in its heyday, it was two floors, the family yeah. owned the building. And then, when they got older, it, by the time they put the bookstore up for sale, it had con- it had shrunken to about to, to one story, one floor. And yeah. I, you know, bless them. Sweet. They're yeah. very, very sweet people. Um, w- they probably hadn't taken care of it the way that they should have. Um, mm-hmm. The inventory hadn't been turned. There were a lot of books that were coming in that weren't going out. There were a ton of books in the basement, like great books first edition yeah. Ernest Hemingway's in the basement and okay. um so so anyway I went through with my friends friends and helped me uh, we took the books that we wanted and mm-hmm. so we probably took a third of the books knowing yeah. that those were going to make it into a new location and the remaining two-thirds of the books went to a variety of different locations most of them were donated some of them yeah. were thrown away yeah not many but some of them were thrown away so the store as it exists today is somewhere between four and five thousand books and i have mm-hmm. about 650 square feet wow just not amazing. not big yeah. that's not a big space yeah um that's you know almost a thousand books per hundred square feet which is not a lot of room to hold a thousand books. Um, You'd be surprised. <laughs> oh, look, uh, I'm sure you make it work. Like, yeah. the amount of times I've walked into a bookstore and it's been floor to ceiling books and I still feel like I'm in the biggest space ever. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have, like, I took all of the old, all of the old bookshelves. So there's a, there are the original bookshelves in the space that um, Ed and his son had built. So there are bookshelves all along the walls and we've got stand-up bookshelves on casters that we can roll around into different configurations and that we can push out of the way entirely when we have events. So one of the things I had to work on when I bought the bookstore and when we relocated mm-hmm. to another space was how yeah. I've, how can I maximize the amount of books that I get into this small space? Yeah. That's always um, a challenge. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and like, aside from like reorganizing and reinvigorating the bookstore, were there other challenges that you faced, you know, starting, uh, basically starting your own business? Yeah. Yeah. It does very much feel like I'm starting my own business. The advantage 
was that it had name recognition. So, mm-hmm. you know, it is completely located across town. There was a period of time between the old store closing and the new store opening up. So a lot of people just thought it had closed entirely. So one of my challenges was getting the word out and letting people know that we are in fact still alive and entering mm-hmm. a new era that is more streamlined, that is accessible. Now we have a website. They never had a website. I'm on yeah. social media. There are so many ways to support the bookshop without even necessarily coming in the front door. So yeah. it, there are folks, now that I'm on TikTok, a lot of people in Pittsburgh are coming in saying, I never knew you were here until I saw your TikTok. And I yeah. think it's been, you know, 27 years, 28 years, and you still didn't yeah. know this bookstore existed. And I mean, that's not through no fault of mine. I don't want to be like, oh, you got to know about the bookstore. But um, the ch- one of the big challenges, it's always going to be marketing and getting the word out. I don't have a budget for yeah. paid advertising. So I have to shake it up in a different way. Yeah. And like that shaking up, as we've already discussed, is you being very media savvy uh, and like... I'm jealous. Like, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I'm very jealous on how media savvy you are because I am not. I am very bad at this whole social media thing. I was never brought up in, like, a social media space. But, like... <laughs> I'm 54. I wasn't brought up in a social media space either. <laughs> no. And I've, I've had to, like, especially once starting this podcast, have to really learn the roles of each, like, level of social media, you know. Twitter is for this. Instagram is for that. TikTok is for this, you know. Using each one for their intended use case. And you, you seem to do it, like, perfectly. And it it sometimes feels very effortless. I know you put so much time and effort into that. But um, that content creation, as you said, has meant that people are finding out more and more about your bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I, I, mm, wow. I feel, thank you. First of all, thank you for that. You you think that it feels effortless. Um, my husband thinks I'm doing it all the time and I don't pay nearly enough attention to my dog. She thinks I do it all the time. She's learned how to bat the phone out of my hand. Um, I think one of the things that makes, might make it look easy is that I didn't start all at once. You know, I started, of course, you know, Facebook, but we don't do Facebook at all. I don't do Facebook at all. I love Facebook. Yeah. The only, yeah. my only connection to Facebook now is that it owns Instagram. And I wish I could disconnect my business store account from my Facebook, but you can't. If you have a business Instagram, you can't disconnect it from your Facebook. Yeah. Um, so I started doing all of it differently and I do use all of my channels very discreetly. They're, I mean, they're, they, they, they don't really overlap, although I no, am. Yeah. In 2022, I am hoping to um, flesh out my YouTube account as some sort of arm of my TikTok account. I've I've had a YouTube Mm -hmm. account for a while. I've never really known how to use it. But now I have seen people who I follow on... Make sure we're still running. Yeah, people who I follow on tiktok are saying you know for the full thing go see my youtube well that just that just clicks um i use buffer as well so have you looked at all of this city book social media is that why you're yeah um so i've looked through your instagram and your twitter and your tiktok that's kind of like the for a glimpse behind the scenes for a viewer when i go to assess whether i you know, I've got someone who I've got an idea to have a guest on. The way I assess it is I go through all their social media and I go, awesome, what are the kind of things they do? Is it interesting? Is it different enough from previous guests if I've had previous guests in a similar area? Um, do they communicate well? Does it look like they can hold a conversation really well? Which usually is pretty easy. But um, from time to time, I've had guests or people I've gone probably not the greatest to have on the podcast. Um, and, you know, just making sure that everything's going to be fine. So when we kind of sit down and keep yeah. recording, it's very easy. Yeah. Um, I'm a journalist by trade, so um, I have to get my research done. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I look very similar. Um, but uh, very similar, sorry, very silly. Um, 
But I, so I know what you mean, though. So all right. So since you have seen the other social media, I you know then that I use all of my channels very differently. Oh, hundred percent. And it's, yeah, I think it's really, really good because it means that, like, you know, you go to Instagram for one purpose, you go to TikTok for another purpose, and you go to Twitter for another one, and you go, okay, I'm, you know, kind of shifting gears. And I think that that is the way that social media is meant to work. I. I acknowledge the fact that people are trying to break some of that division with uh, within social media to make it a lot more amalgamated, a lot look more as one. But at this point in time, for me and my dumb straight white male um, Australian brain, um, sometimes I've just got to go, I'm just going to really, really compartmentalise so I can kind of ignore what's happening on TikTok so I can really focus on doing a good job on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't... It's weird, yeah. Like, my, my I, Instagram, because it's just photographs of book covers. Yeah. And it's a way for people to just swipe and browse what we have in the store. And it's a real, you know, clunky way of doing it. If somebody wants a book, they either comment or they DM me. And then I yeah. have to go mark the book as sold. I don't have 10,000 followers, so there's no swipe up feature on that. I, I can't do that yet. Yeah. It doesn't integrate into some sort of online software. It's just me dotting the I's and crossing the T's and trying to make sure everything is working. I will mm -hmm. tell you that the thing that makes it a bit easier for me is that I use Buffer. Are you aware of the Buffer platform? Yeah, so that's what I use to schedule my tweets. Yeah. yeah okay, right. So I do... Twitter and Instagram uh, and LinkedIn. I can do LinkedIn yeah. on Buffer. So that works when I'm planning like a specific campaign, which I haven't really done a lot of that lately. But so let's say in the fall when we were getting ready, we were accepting applications for our writer in residence program. I knew that I wanted to push that writer in residence deadline every four or five days yeah. For, you know, for about six weeks out and every reminder needed to be different. And I wanted to scatter it at certain times of the day. So I used mm -hmm. the buffer scheduling software yeah. and all of the, um, the books that go up on Instagram, I chunk those. So, you know, I haven't done any, I haven't done any of that in a week, but when I sit down and I upload a bunch of books to mm -hmm. Instagram, I'm able to do five or six a day for the next 10 days but if I don't, and then I don't worry about it, but now I'm probably four or five days behind on that. And so there's nothing been posting on that. So I'm not going to sit down, give myself another hour and do another 30 or 40 books. I so Buffer helps the, a lot. Yeah. It, it's really great. If anyone is looking into you know, social media, working on it properly, I definitely suggest, yeah. you know, looking at Buffer and really investigating it. It's really great. And as you said, the kind of trap is you get like you get a couple of days ahead and you're like, awesome, I can take a bit of a break and then you get a couple of days behind. Um, so, for example, I've had two weeks of episodes be uploaded and ready to go, one scheduled for next week uh, and the corresponding tweets and everything are out as well um, on Buffer ready to go. But I know that I've got to be really proactive and like when this episode is finished recording, I then spend my free time sometime later this week to edit it and um, write the tweets for it and get it all ready. That way I've got it and I can not think about that, but instead think about organizing my next guests and, and making sure that the, the harder parts of it are flowing through easily. Yeah. Well, yours sounds like you know exactly what you're doing. You know, that's, that's what it is. That's yeah. A hundred percent. Um, what are some of the, the unexpected things that you had to deal with when you started running the bookstore? COVID. <laughs> yeah. <I'm>, uh, <laughs> wasn't expecting a global pandemic. Um, well, I, I wasn't expecting... Well, okay. There were a couple of things that I wasn't expecting. So when mm -hmm. I used to get on an airplane and go someplace and someone would say, what do you do? And yeah. I was having a college professor. Like, oh, wow. That was fascinating to people. 
mm-hmm. that was impressive to people. Yeah. One of the things I was completely not expecting was the way people treat folks standing behind counters. Yeah. I don't treat people who stand behind counters the way I get treated sometimes. Um, so I was, I was taken aback by that. Mm-hmm. First, you know, first of all, that, um, it, it just brought into a much, much sharper focus. Something that I knew intellectually, but I yeah. actually hadn't necessarily, I, in my own life, had not experienced it, at least since I was a teenager working, that uh, retail workers get treated like crap. Yeah. Um, even if it's your own business, people, I mean, a lot of people at the beginning were like, you you own this bookstore? Why, yes, I do. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm an owner operator. The second thing I would say, completely unrelated to that, that I didn't, that I didn't expect was mm-hmm. that being a bookstore owner or maybe it's just me i don't know um it's much like being a bartender i think you know the stereotype (laughs) for being a bartender is that somebody always sits there at the bar and they're nursing their drink and they're telling the bartender all of their problems yeah in a very literal sense booksellers are keepers of stories and in the early days when i I hadn't really found my niche in social media or, and the bookstore wasn't really taking off because now the least of what I do is hand sell somebody a book and, and ring them up at the register. I mean, I could, I could not have anybody in the store for days and just yeah. be exhausted from the amount of work I have to do. So in the beginning, people would come in and it would appear as if I didn't have any work to do. And many times I didn't, I was just sitting and waiting for the next customer to come in and yeah. people would come in and stay for an hour and talk to me and tell me things. Yeah, 100%. And um, I wasn't expecting to be literally and figuratively the keeper of stories. Yeah, it's like it's been... It, it's interesting because that bartender stereotype, I think, permeates through a lot of industries where, you know, for example, in my administration role at my paid work, I hear a lot people tell me a lot of stories and i have to remind myself that these people are here because they're in often in a vulnerable position and so they're going to spill their hearts out um i vividly remember i felt very embarrassed we went to a bookstore in alice springs in the middle of australia um, my brother was li- had been living there for the past year, had never been to this bookstore, and we went because my mum was desperate to find books to buy for us as Christmas gifts. So we went to the bookstore to just have a look to see whether we could find books for our siblings, for ourselves, to help mum, because it's kind of a, tr- a Christmas tradition in our family. We spent two hours in that bookstore, um, and... At the end of it, I think my brother had a pile of about 10 books that he had, like, found. And that was what he, after he had cut it multiple times, I said, you can't buy that many books. And I think we bought about seven of the 10 in the end. Um, and I felt, like, I loved, I think the, the ladies of the bookstore loved it. And they were so appreciative that we were there because um, it's a small town. There's not a lot of, like, traffic. Um, and it was, like, the middle of the day. It was a bit of a stinker. Um And we, um, but I felt mortified because my brother had spent the two hours like grabbing books and asking them heaps of questions, which they loved. But I was like, oh, this is like a little bit like, I don't know, socially awkward. Um, I would just go in, have a look, go out, you know, be in and out in 25 minutes. Whereas he knew that the, these, these bookstore owners really, really wanted to really engage with people and the people to ask them questions, go, do you have this? You know, where might I find this and things like that? And, you know, he loved it and it just wasn't, I, I, I had to like remind myself that that's what a bookstore's function is. It's a place to find stories. I, that is, a, I'm sure that was thrilling for your brother. You can't, and you are the oldest of what, like eight, ten, some huge number of children, right? Yeah, ten. Yeah. Okay. Um, how and so, how old was the brother who was saying that? Eighteen. Like, like oh, it was like, okay. you know, so, he not much spent, 
Yeah, it was, it was um, you know, for those who, who may not know, my brother went and spent a year for a gap year in uh, Alice Springs working as a surveyor. Mm-hmm. And so he had this, you know, five five or six days a week job. Um, he also then picked up a second job at some stage, um, wrapping burritos for a family friend of ours. Um, my, my dad grew up in Alice Springs, so there was lots of things for him to do, you know, lots of people he met and yeah. uh, interacted with. Uh, and then we came a couple of weeks before he moved back home for Christmas, and uh, it was it was amazing to be there as a tourist. But um, you know, it's the most significant memory I have of that trip was being in that bookstore and just going, "Wow, you know, this is the middle of Australia. This is the middle of nowhere." At you know, as we speak, um, they don't have any food on the shelves of the supermarkets because of flooding and bushfires, um, oh. but. Their bookstore it was filled to the brim with all these amazing books uh, and um, some of my favourite non-fiction books, some of my favourite fiction books were there. And I was like, you know, if this was a library, I would pick up a book and start reading right now. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's a bookstore. Um, and um, so I was like, wow, there's so many books. You know, I could... I had to kind of resist the urge to just buy it all, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem. You know, people have to, you know, books cost money. (laughs) Yeah, they do. Um, Unfortunately. But, yeah, it was just amazing to – and they had gotten a local artist to decorate the front and all the businesses in um, that town have, like, a a Christmas decoration competition. Um, And so they had this lovely – and I'll post it on Instagram – this lovely nativity scene of Australian animals on the front of the bookstore. And it was beautiful and I was just like – you know, it was just so special – but, you know, when I look at bookstores nowadays and I look at, you know, the way you run your bookstore and things like that, I go, that's what the purpose is. Because before then, I couldn't quite get around the fact that my friends would go to, you know, a bookstore every week and buy a couple of books. Or I couldn't get my head around the fact that, um, you know, people really loved being in those spaces and they were really special spaces. Partially because I didn't go to very many bookstores. Um I was a library kid. I'd be at the library all the time. If the library didn't have it, I didn't didn't read it. Um, but it was just like I'm just. I was sitting there going, "Yeah, that's that is an amazing space, and I've got to cut, go back sometime." I was that way for with libraries when I was little. I we didn't have many bookstores in the area when I was a little girl. We had a place called Walden's and a place called B Dalton, but they were mall bookstores. Yeah, and um, I don't remember them having really big children's sections. So yeah. I, I mean, I'm assuming it's this way in Australia as well. But libraries have children's reading programs, and for every book you read, you get a point. And and at the end of the year, you read end of the summer, you read a hundred books, you get blah. You know, it, even yeah. if it's just a certificate. I mean, I I had to have the certificate. I had to read. I would say even when I was a child, I was a competitive reader. <laughs> That was my sport. It was reading. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. libraries are great. Don't feel bad that you didn't have a bookstore. I mean, it's great that you had a library. We didn't have a lot of money when when I was a kid either. So, it was to the library. My mum is quite an avid reader. My father is not, but that um, that's just the way our family works at this point. But um, And it's a bit of a running joke that dad doesn't read anything. But um, we... um, you know, I would had to be banned from reading books uh, when I got into high school uh, because I read too many books. Um, but it was no so such interesting. Thing. Well, yeah, there is no such thing as reading too many books. I think it was the the time lack of time management on my behalf. Yeah, no, you were getting your homework done. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but uh, you know, things like that, and I think I, I have to congratulate you because. Your the, the the efforts you put on social media and the the content that you put on social media really encourages people to get back into reading. And I have never been more motivated in my life to get back into reading than I have after watching your TikToks. Wow, that is probably that is by far the highest compliment anybody has ever paid to me. That thank you. I'm real. I'm speechless. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you. And. So, you know, beyond the whole, um, you know, running in the day-to-day business and the, 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 
the interesting stuff. When, you know, when you sit down and you're like, okay, I'm done running the bookstore. There's nothing, well, not nothing, but I'm yeah. I'm stopping doing work. Yeah. What do you do to relax? Is it like the typical, I'm gonna, I sit down and read, you know, a thousand no. pages every night? No, yeah. no, no, it's not. <laughs> um, I have... I, I do like to read, but I can't read every single night and I can't yeah. finish a book and then pick up the next book right away, especially yeah. if those books are vastly different, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I cross stitch. I mean, I'm, I, I feel like if I describe these things to you, I'm going to sound like a really old lady and I don't yeah. certainly feel like an old lady, but, um, I, pandemically speaking, I've just yeah. gotten back into cross stitch. Yeah. And um, I made so many masks in 2020 that I have a lot of, I'll show this to you because this is my room, and, but no one else can see this. I um, I have a lot of fabric left over. So yeah. I've taken all these scraps and I'm working on my COVID quilt. Yeah. So, I, so I'm still two years into that. But I have a really hard time finishing projects that I start. So... Yeah. Um, I like to cook. Mm-hmm. I um, generally am not an outdoorsy or an exercise person. Yeah. We have a dog, so I spend a lot of time with the dog. Mm-hmm. And in the past two years, when the weather has been cooperative, um, we, we, my husband and I have um, taken more walks. We've yeah. gone bicycling a lot more. We got stimulus money. I don't know if you guys got that. Your country gave yeah. stimulus Yeah, money. we did. Yeah, we got some stimulus money and uh, we bought kayaks with that and we kayaked on some local rivers and some local lakes. Um, Mm -hmm. Generally, I don't think I... Yeah. It's all, it's all pretty much all bookstore. My husband is a painter. He's an artist. Yeah. Oh, amazing. He's an art professor, but he has a very active art career. So he's Mm -hmm. in his studio here in the house a lot painting. So we are... um, we're a literary couple. We don't have children. We're a literary couple and we have uh, is it an artsy couple and those hobbies yeah. sort of feed yeah. us. That's amazing. And, you know, I suppose, as you said, you know, running the bookstore is all consuming. And you mentioned before that you've got, you know, uh, a helper that comes in on, you know, the weekends to help out. Have you ever considered, have you ever had the desire to like expand things more and get really ambitious with expanding the bookstore or... No. No, no, absolutely not. No way. No way. Um, (laughs) I am one small person. So, um, in the beginning, we, so I, my thought was I I need to be able to manage the space myself. Yeah. And smaller, less is more. If, If I can be really good at managing the space that I have and the books that I have, Mm-hmm. then I'll be very happy. Now, you know, best laid plans. So people, we do, a, I do a very active trade in for store credit. And a lot of yeah. times people will just donate. I don't have the budget to buy books. So books do pile up faster than I can get them on the shelves. So that's fine. I mean, the people's expectations of a used bookstore yeah. are very low. Yeah. So, you know, it's dusty. There are piles, things, things come and go and, and they change. Um, every once in a while, I have an idea, like, wouldn't it be great to have a second location that was yeah. really small, that was just, like, cookbooks? Hole-in-the-wall kind of thing. A yeah. little hole-in-the-wall place, right? There's So we have a, a junior high school, which is 7th um, and 8th grade here, or middle yeah. school, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. I don't know if our systems match up, but there's a... a a space not too far from the local junior high school that just went empty. It was an antique store. Mm-hmm. And all the kids have to walk past it on their way to and from school. And yeah. I thought, wouldn't it be great just to have a, a bookstore that was maybe 600, 800 square feet that was just young adult fiction? Yeah. And those kids could have a place before school and after school and mm-hmm. be open extended hours on like Friday nights and Saturday nights. And I know that not every kid would come because some of those yeah. kids are going to be off to do other things. But yeah. there are always going to be those kids who don't play sports, who don't feel like they fit in. Cause I was one yeah. of those kids mm-hmm. and wants to spend their Friday night in a bookstore. 
Yeah. I'd love that. It, it reminds me of the movie adaptation of the book, The NeverEnding Story, where it, it almost feels like he's in the attic of a bookstore. I think I think he's, from memory, wow, it's been a long time since I watched that movie. Um, he's, like, at home reading the book. But, like, um, you know, it feels like he's in the attic of a bookstore. And it felt, like, aside from the fact that it was really creepy, um, <laughs> like, it felt quite cosy. And, and, like, I was like, yeah, I would love to spend my Friday night uh-huh. reading a book there uh, and just kind of chilling out and not having to to worry about it um but um it's been like that kind of thing is is amazing and obviously you know have you you like that those ideas are, are really awesome have you know have you ever gone i'm gonna do it or gone no nah, it's too hard no it would be too hard i'd actually i'd have to like have a staff i would have I yeah. couldn't, i'd have to have somebody manage each location because yeah. i would then have to float back and forth um and, I mean, there would be money involved in that. And I mean, you know, it, it is a very successful bookstore. The bookstore pays yeah. all of its own bills. The bookstore doesn't pay a lot of my bills. Yeah. So um, it's not lucrative. Yeah. I couldn't, I mean, I, I don't have to put my own money into the bookstore anymore on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, I don't want to take out a loan to open up a second location. Um, people have said, have you ever thought about putting a, a, a coffee bar, you know, doing selling coffee in here as well? Yeah. No, I don't want to deal with the health department. There's an amazing coffee shop half a block away. Go yeah. buy your coffee, bring it down here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't see any, I have no interest in expanding. And I will say expanding into the digital realm mm-hmm. has satisfied the you know the gnawing that i have every once in a while to have to start up a second location yeah um i don't think i've saturated the market that i have access to yet Mm -hmm. you know and then i would do that before i moved on but i don't see myself doing that i must i like being small yeah it's it's very interesting having these discussions with business owners i've got a couple of friends of mine who own local businesses Mm -hmm. and i always ask you know where you know what's the next steps would you expand are you happy where you are is there more work to be done in the location that you're in and oftentimes it is that whole discussion of i'd love to open a second location but i haven't saturated the market i have access to yet so you know i've I've really got to work on that and making sure that that works before i can even you know seriously consider and you've you know you in i have already you know seriously considered that um uh and have decided it's not for you, but like, you know, I have much younger friends who own businesses who turn around and go, I'm going to do this at some point, but I've got to lay the groundwork first. And it's really interesting to see that, you know, even, even now you're like, yeah, you know, it'd be really interesting, you know, hard, but I'm, it's not the kind of thing that you're, you're keen for. You know, that's really interesting that you say that because it, that, um, for me, that might get to the heart of what your your podcast is about. Yeah. Content and capable, or capable and content, which is it's capable and content. Content and capable. It is content. Well, that was right the first time. Yeah. Okay, content. And content. <laughs> um, so for me, that gets to the heart of what I think your podcast is about: content and capable. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, like in my twenties, yeah, I did. I, Everything was potential and mm-hmm. maximizing potential and doing everything that was possible was what we were supposed to aim for. And I don't know if you have the same internalized capitalism in Australia that we have in the United States, but you know, if you, I made, um, uh, I did a lot, done a lot of cooking in the, in the fall. I did made a lot yeah. of homemade jams and jellies. And my friends were like, Oh, you should go into business. These are so good. And I'm thinking mm. I would, that would take all of the joy out of it. So yeah, one of the 100%. things that I've learned as an adult is that I don't have to do everything that's possible. I have to do what makes me happy and what I can be really good at. Yeah, and yeah. by knowing how much work would go into having a second location mm-hmm. and knowing that I don't want to do that work, yeah. that I, I want to maximize my time with my family and with my friends, especially, you know, we're on this 
this side of this pandemic yeah. world right now. I mean, that's what's important to me. Um, knowing what my limitations are, what my priorities are for me mm-hmm. has been, and being confident in those has been yeah. what adulthood is meant to be. What has been, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I cannot thank you more for the amazing work that you do as well um, in just creating an inclusive space. I really also want to touch on one more thing. Um, it's a bit more newsworthy. It's a bit of a downer, um, but it's the whole book banning thing um, that's been making rearing its ugly head yet again um, through um, the news. What, like, what do you make of that? I think this, uh, we're, um, yeah, I don't even know where to begin with that, to be honest honest with you, Sam. Um, that's a horrible, horrible thing. You know, it, Mm. it, it, it's, it upsets me. I would say that I'm sad, but that would be wrong. I'm, yeah. It, I'm enraged. I'm infuriated by it that mm-hmm. in this country we will ban books out of schools, but we won't ban guns. And I think that yeah. tells exactly what our priorities are. And oh, I I did a TikTok post this weekend. Yeah. I don't know if you if you saw it about um, a book that many young women read in the late seventies and early eighties called Flowers in the Attic by Mm -hmm. vc andrews and i was i did not post that in the context of book banning i saw people complaining about that book in literary spaces saying you know can you can't believe you gave this book to kids well it of course you cannot have a nuanced discussion on twitter yeah in 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 just a few sentences sentences so you know are you talking about giving that to an eight-year-old or giving that to a 12-year-old that's not book banning the, mm-hmm. what, what we're seeing is books actually being tossed onto bonfires. Yeah. We're seeing, um, school districts pulling out Nobel laureates. Uh, we have people shutting themselves off to mm. other people's humanity. And when a society begins to other a whole group of people. Yeah. Um, we are in for some trouble. Yeah. And it's sim- it's 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 symptomatic of the problems that already exist in this country. Mm. But we all know, all of us know what happens yeah. uh, when that kind of book banning and fascism starts yeah. Yeah. it's not a good look for any country it to me it really like as an outsider viewing in on the situation it makes it makes the whole like the whole thought process makes people look stupid you go like i understand you've got to make books age appropriate and context appropriate but there are points where you've really got to sit down and go this is an important topic that needs to be discussed. This is something that needs to have the space to breathe, to be heard. And when you're actively trying to to destroy spaces like that, it it makes it really hard to have a meaningful discussion. I've had so many interesting conversations just on the back of the fact that I agree that we disagree and so, yes, you know, I might not agree on the same viewpoint, but learning your side of the story or your opinions on something is so much more important. And I, uh, I'm reading Think Again by Adam Grant, where he talks about going into politician mode and believing that and going, I'm going to, you know, prove my point against all odds. And that's where I think this conversation is headed. It's gone into politician mode. Mm-hmm. People refuse to listen to other sides of the story and balance things. And so then we sit here in this frustrated position going, why are these books being banned? Why is John and Hank Green's books not allowed to be in school libraries when, you know, they've done so much good for people? And that's the crazy thing. If you don't like a book, don't read it. 
Yeah. But don't tell me that I can't read the book or that, you know, so-and-so's children can't, can't read the yeah. book. It is shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much, I mean, it's shocking and it's not. I mean, it takes a lot to shock me these days because oh, yeah, 100%, yeah. this is just, um, it's, it's par for the course. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you don't, the only way to really learn empathy yeah. is by reading a book because a book can be told in first person or it can be told in third person omniscient when you, you still get somebody's thoughts and feelings and what. And mm-hmm. that's how we learn about other people. But when you're burning books that talk about other people's experiences, you are saying your experience is worthless and I don't want you or your children or my children to learn about other people because, yeah. you know, we are the privileged and yeah. I have no time for that. And so I just have to say that is um, an embarrassment. Yeah. And not everybody in this country believes that way. And we're trying hard to stop that. But we are divided. (laughs) To turn it in a more positive light, there is so many amazing people who are campaigning and and doing the right thing and having meaningful discussions. And I think that I, I hope, I really, really hope that this is the point where people realize we need to start listening to both sides of a story. You know, if a politician is saying we should ban the books, we should ask why before we jump with them. You know, regardless of whether you believe in their political beliefs or not, you know, there are many politicians that I interact with quite regularly um, in my work as a journalist that I vehemently disagree with. However, listening to their side of the story has helped me frame my opinions and frame my, the work I do in a more balanced and nuanced light. And I think that we, we're getting there. We're so close. The amount of content I've seen in the last week about schools, libraries, um, you know, and all organizations getting behind this and going, how can we fix this while we, ha- uh, while we have to fill the gaps to, you know, um, you know, to be able to fix it long term. How can we short term fix this? I saw this amazing library that just raised the funds that they needed for the year. Um, you know, there are so much good out there, and I think that that people realise the inherent value that books like bookstores like yours, writers and publishers, and all aspects of literary, you know, works are you know the value that they hold in our society, and that. It's really, really amazing. Um, I think I think deplatforming works. I mean, certainly, yeah. if some you know, those voices are in the minority, and if we yeah. don't give them a microphone, then those people they can't be heard and they can't they can't spread their vitriol. And yeah. we've seen that in the history of publishing, where historically excluded populations haven't had the opportunity to tell their stories because publishing has been so predominantly male and so predominantly western and white yeah. and now publishing is you know it's of course is has a long way to go but mm-hmm. um it's now being more inclusive and we're hearing other people's stories so yeah if there is any consolation that i can take from these people who are banning books and moving books from libraries and school districts is that there are voices new voices and historically excluded voices coming in at a faster rate than they are burning the books so we are now i i believe the publishing space is providing a platform for Mm -hmm. more people than they used to in the past and if we can just de-platform the bad guys and Mm -hmm. create more platforms for the good guys um then maybe 100%. we can tip the balance. Yeah, 100%. Well, um, we've kind of reached the time limit. I feel like you and I could continue discussing so many intricate <laughs> details about yeah. how your bookstore runs, how 
bookstores fit in our wider fabric of society. But um, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Thank you so much, Arlen, for coming on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. It was a delight. It was a delight. I've watched a lot of your TikToks and I listened to a couple of your podcasts um, because I didn't know who you were or or what you were Mm -hmm. up to. So um, I needed to make sure you weren't problematic before I came on your show. (laughs) You're a delight. You are a delight, Sam. I'm happy happy to be here. Yes, uh, it, it's amazing. Um, I said, um, I said to a friend of mine, I've got the most amazing guest coming on the podcast. She um, makes me feel like um, I need a second mother, and it's her because of um, every piece of content and it, uh, every interaction I've had with you is just amazing. Um, well, you can be my Australian son. That's okay. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm everyone's Australian child or Australian <laughs> ambassador at this point. It's okay. great. Um, I, I'll be owned by everyone before I die. Um, <laughs> so uh, where can people find you on the internet? Okay. Um, our handle is at City Books PGH. Mm-hmm. PGH is the abbreviation for Pittsburgh. So we are on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And yeah. YouTube, but we don't have enough followers on YouTube to be at City Books PGH on YouTube. So you just have to search for City Books. And uh, our website is City Books PGH. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in the US, you can browse and shop directly through our website. You could get to Libro FM dot Libro.fm from there. You can get to bookshop.org from there. You can get to our Instagram from there. Yeah. It's very difficult to ship overseas. It's really cost prohibitive unless the person wants to do that but um i'd i'd like to figure out a a way to make that a bit easier but um yeah at citybookspgh and my email is citybookspgh at gmail.com so i you know be happy to it's it's very interesting i I, i've really interest uh i love your book reviews they always seem to have a bit of a twist in them which i really enjoy um uh (laughs) I'm, i'm particularly remembering one that I don't know whether it was you or someone else. Oh, so much I don't do many. What was the book? Do you remember um, the book? I, I think it was, maybe it wasn't you. Someone had pre-read a book before publication. Oh, that was me. Given, <laughs> yeah. You'd given them a review and then the book had made like a New York Times yeah. bestseller list. You know, like, um, it must have changed a lot since yes. I wrote. Um, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't. I was asked yeah. to pre-read a book. Um, the, the publisher wanted to know how I, th- you know, give them suggestions for marketing that book into independent bookstores and yeah. you know, how, how would I market it and how could it help them? So uh, I read the book and I could not stand the book. So yeah. I sent them, a, you know, I responded and I, and I had a relationship with this publisher until that point mm-hmm. um, said, you know, this is a, no, I wouldn't yeah. carry this book. It's no good. Um, but it got published anyway. And yeah. then it made it to the New York times, 100 most notable list for 2021. Yeah. It wasn't a bestseller, but it made it to the, the, this critically acclaimed list. Yeah. And it's my understanding. I didn't go back and reread it because I'm not wasting my time doing that twice. But yeah. it's my understanding that book was not changed. Yeah. So that, that, that was me. Then, so when I did that, everybody was like, please review more books because yeah. we want to hear what you have to say. So that's what kicked that off. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, well, uh, you can find me, uh, well, Alan, you've already found me on the internet, but if you're still looking to find me on the internet, um, you can find me at sam.the.journalist on Instagram and on TikTok and at samobjournalist on Twitter because Twitter hates long names. Um, uh, I am going to recommend Percy Jackson and the Titans Curse. I'm reading it for our sister podcast of The Eldest Gods, Um, because uh, they have asked me to pick a chapter already and I hey, this is the one Percy Jackson book that I have read the least. So I've got to go through and read it and really, really make sure I pick the right chapter. Um, But um, I'm really excited because I keep being told that this is a really, really good one and I can't believe I haven't read it as much as all the rest of them. But that's okay. I think we were just missing it in our collection when I was a child or something. Anyway, well, thank you so much, Arlen, for coming on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. I cannot wait to see uh, what the future holds for you. Uh, And I definitely um, have to uh, keep keep looking at your website to see. um, uh, Maybe I'll even come and visit when I come to America or something. 
Are you planning on it? Are you planning to come to America? A hundred percent, yes. Okay. I've never um, been to I've, Australia. I would like to do that yeah. one day. Um, it's, it's, it's not a matter of if I go to America, it's a matter of when. Um, so I've got to really sit down and plan it. Um, Come stay yes. with us. You can stay with us in um, Pittsburgh. It's on the list. Uh, it's okay. definitely on the list. There's a, a lengthy list of people I must visit. So <laughs> I bet. I bet you do. Yeah. I bet. Well, please stay in touch. I would love to hear from you again. Yeah. And awesome. um, yeah, I'll see you on TikTok. Thank you for listening to Content and Capable. You can follow the podcast socials at Content, the letter N, Capable on Instagram and Twitter. You can send a super boring email to us through contentandcapablepod at gmail.com. The art was done by Opia. You can follow them on opia underscore art on Instagram. Opia is spelled O-P-I-A. Feel free to message them about making art for your project. Our music was written, recorded, and edited by Nora Strauss-Reeds. You can find Nora at Kane underscore I, that's I as in the body part, on Instagram and Twitter. Feel free to message her about making music for your project or editing your podcast. I'm proud to be a part of the Movie Night Crew Network, which features the Restricted section, a chapter-by-chapter Harry Potter pod with lots of spoilers all the time, the Movie Night Crew, Join some friends as they react to some terrible, some meh, and some really great movies. Of the Eldest Gods, a chapter-by-chapter Rick Riordan pod full of myths and legends. My Cabbages, an Avatar podcast that follows the true hero of Avatar The Last Airbender, the Cabbage Cart Guy. And Fandom's Gone Wrong, a show that discusses all things fandoms. Hello, you awesome nerds out there. Yes, you. Have I got the podcast for you. We've got pop culture, swearing, and all the immature jokes you could ask for. We'll take you on a journey through TV shows, movies, books, and maybe a video game someday. And we'll tell you how they all went wrong. I'm Charlie. And I'm Carrie. And this is Fandoms Gone Wrong. New episodes every other Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Content and Capable is a podcast all about answering the question, how do you adult? Don't forget to rate and review it on your favorite podcatcher, and I will see you next Monday for another episode. That movie sucked. I kind of liked it. Movie Night Crew Network.